What's up, everybody? It's LG Set here. You're listening to The First Mint, a podcast where I talk about NFTs and the world of Web3. The podcast comes out every Monday morning and occasionally on Wednesdays. If you like this content and you want some more, feel free to visit our Twitter page at The First Mint. I've said this many times on the show. I am not a smart man. And I don't mean that as in like I'm not like I have a lack of intelligence or anything like that. Like a, a, a fine but I mean, in the way that sometimes I have a conversation with somebody and I think we're going to talk about the same topic and we do, but the way they visualize it, the way they think about it is so far beyond the way that I think and process it in a way that like in one sentence or in like one stream of thought, they articulate stuff that literally sums up what takes me like months to put together. And this pod, which I recorded last week is that type of conversation. It's almost an entire hour of that type of conversation. The guest, the person I'm saying is smarter than I am, is Brendan Mulligan, who's created a tool called Premint, where NFT collectors, or rather NFT creators, can create an allow list to let certain people get permission to mint their NFTs before others. You've probably used it. Whitelist, allow list, Premint list, whatever it's called, this app called Premint became pretty much the main tool in the industry. A lot of the big names used it for their mints, including Moonbirds and Rug Radio, which you'll hear Brendan talk about on today's show. And beyond just being somebody who's created a really helpful app in the space, Brendan is like a tech music entertainment entrepreneur with experience way beyond, way before the NFT space. We go a little deep into that on this pod. We talk about his history in the music app side. We talk about why MySpace failed as a tool. And we get really deep with bringing in the mass adoption. I challenge him. I ask him those questions. Like, what is going to bring those people in? And he gets so granular with his example that he literally gives an example where Dave Matthews Band fans will be able to go to Denny's because of their token authentication in the future. It gets real deep. This guy is a real founder. He is mission focused and his mission in the space is to great, create fantastic tools for creators and also solve the problems of normal people trying to come into it. So listen to my conversation with Brendan Mulligan on The First Mint. Very special treat for you today on this Monday. Brendan Mulligan, founder of Premint, a tool that you have undoubtedly used. I've used it many times. He's joining us on the show to talk about building and other great stuff that he's done. Brendan, what's going on, man? Are you you doing all right in the bear market? I feel like you're cranking stuff out, but let's get let's get start with the emotional check-in. How are you feeling right now? I've been doing crypto-related stuff, whether it's been buying um, buying crypto or trying to sell crypto, whatever. I've been doing it since the first since Coinbase was created. And so uh, I was just talking to someone this morning who was a little worried about their portfolio. I don't know how, what'll happen to NFTs because it's a new, it's a new asset class and I don't know what will happen to specific tokens, you know, but you know, they're ups and downs and we're just in like a little bit of a lull. Um, 
And there's only, all you can know is that there will be a non-lull in the future. Um, you don't know what that's going to look like or how far away it is. So I've gotten so used to it. So I feel good. I mean, I, you know, I think that when you're building in the space, um, regardless if you're building software or like a, an actual project, like an NFT project, the, um, building during exceptional hype has a lot of benefits, but also a lot of drawbacks and there's a lot of noise. It's kind of nice for a little bit to be, for things to be a little quiet. So I'm, I'm enjoying having a little bit of time just to focus in a little bit more. That's interesting. Tell me, I mean, to Brendan, tell me a little bit more about that, man. Cause we don't, we don't, uh, you know, outside of pre-mint, uh, I don't, I don't know very much about you. We've, we, we don't know each other personally at all. So I'd love to hear like a little bit more. You say you've been around for a while prior to pre-mint. Uh, what was your involvement in the space and when, when did you get started? Pre-mint is sort of the merge of my interest in the crypto space and my interest in building software. And so on the software side, I've been doing this for 15 years. I built a ton of tools for creators in the music industry and in the podcasting industry and in the app developer industry. I've worked at Google. I've just I've done you know venture funded startups, bootstrap startups. So I've been doing just like building things for a community for a very long period of time, and so I've gotten really used to and good at um, identifying areas where value can be created, putting something out there, quickly seeing if it actually was helpful, um, iterating it, and moving it with the market, which has been really really useful in a space that's only basically a year and a half old. Uh, or at least, you know, a lot of the attention is a year and a half old on the NFT space. So on that side, my background has been preparing me for lots of roller coaster in general. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then on the crypto side, I just have been sort of interested in the space enough to be a speculator when it comes to buying and selling stuff. I've got become exceptionally good, um, in the 10 year history. I'm very, very good at buying when things are expensive and selling them when they're cheap. Uh, I'm potentially the worst investor of all time in general. And so I, but, it, but I've been interested in the technology and the space. Um, right. Uh, and, and unfortunately can't re- can't not emotionally react to things. So this has been a sweet spot for me. You know, I've sort of stopped on the, I mean, I, I own some crypto, but it's really not um, something I ever think about anymore. I'm really more just interested in building for the creators in the space. And that has been way more rewarding personally and financially than trying to time the market or, or invest in crypto and not sell it when it tanks and all that stuff. So I really want to dive into that. And we're going to do a little bit later in terms of like your worst purchases, especially if there's some NFT related ones, because that is definitely some Marxist street cred. But I, I do want to touch on something you, you just told us and, and give us a little bit of education. You said you worked in the music industry. Uh, tell us about that. I, I want to hear a little bit more. Like, you know, you, you've been building tools for creators, all that. Tell us, tell us that story. So early 2000s, I was in the more traditional music industry. I worked for um, some booking agency, a label, a management company. I basically dabbled in all aspects of the business side of music. Um, and eventually in sort of the late 2000, you know, first decade of the 2000s, I left the traditional space because I spent most of my time was taking advantage and exploring like the new digital side of music. So I kind of entered, I started working for a record label at the time where iTunes started getting bigger. So it was sort of post Napster, but pre, but as iTunes was picking up and people were stopping buying albums and they were buying singles. Um, I exited the music business proper around the time Spotify and stuff got, got more popular because so I didn't have to deal with like the music. I wasn't inside the industry when they were figuring out how streaming would it make it would affect them. But I was definitely there when like MySpace pure volume, all these like new music sites were launching. And today it's hard to appreciate like what, how revolutionary that was because the web was relatively new. 
on the consumer level and just uploading like music to be played on the web. I mean, you had to deal with a, the uploading of the music, where do you store it? Like an average musician, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who just knows how to play guitar and, and plays and plays clubs. Like they have to figure out file storage. They have to figure out website building. They have to figure out a media player that can play that file that doesn't require the user to. So when MySpace launched and you could just like put your music on it, it was mind blowing for musicians. Um, obviously, you know, for anyone who was around, hugely successful at the time, anyone who wasn't around, they've at least heard stories of this thing called MySpace that one day was relevant. But like, but the relevance on the music side was like, holy, there was the whole like social network, which was obviously a big deal. But for the musicians, it was like the easiest way to build a website. And so, but that there was that digital transformation. So I left the music industry to sort of focus on the fact that musicians were now able to put their stuff everywhere, but it was very inefficient to do that. And so I started building like, data management tools. I mean, super boring stuff, but things that allowed the, the ethos of everything I've ever built for creators is the same, which is mm. you're supposed to be writing music or producing a podcast mm. or creating NFTs or talking to your fans or your listeners or your community. You shouldn't be dealing with like building a website or you shouldn't be dealing with right. graphic design. Right. And so for the music industry, it was all around like you shouldn't be sending your tour dates to every newspaper in every town you're going to be in, looking up where what newspapers you should be in. You shouldn't be updating your MySpace and your pure volume and your uh, Twitter and your Facebook pages. Like it was like take all of that minutia away from creators so they can spend more time actually honing their craft and like producing things, wonderful things for the world. So that's been the theme through all these projects, but it started in music. Um, and so I did a couple, you know, my, for music, I did a data management one. I, we did a website platform. Um, as MySpace imploded, everyone lost their website and didn't know what to do. So we built a website platform to make it really easy to bring all that stuff back online in a, in a way that was um, somewhat decentralized in the sense that you built a website based off of inputs from all of these other webs, all these other places on the web that you already put the data. So there was no like writing blog posts on the website that we gave them. You could just connect your Twitter or you could connect your WordPress and it would automatically populate the page. So. Um, but that, yeah, that was the music industry part. Shout out pure volume. I haven't heard that term. I haven't heard that name in a long time, but that definitely brings me back. And I remember being on MySpace in the early days and wondering, uh, I was using a social network, but wondering when Facebook would, would eventually overtake it. Like, you know, it was, it was, there was a clear race there, I think around like 2007, 2008, but then it, Facebook left it in the dust a little bit. So, and, you know, well, I mean, it was more from MySpace as self-destruction. I mean, the biggest problem with MySpace, mm. which was a great lesson for software developers, is yeah. they allowed for this ultimate customization where you could make your MySpace mm. page like with, with some CSS code. You could like move things around yeah. on the page. And so record labels would put a very large amount of money into getting designers and developers to build these MySpace pages to really be very custom, which was awesome. And it actually brought a lot of musicians to the platform because most creators want a lot of customization so they can have their brand come out in whatever platform you're giving them. The problem was MySpace was built on really crappy old code. And once they gave that customization to people, there was no way for them to ever make their product better because no matter what they did, it would drastically break the pages. And so yeah. that killed them because they just, it was a horrible platform mm. and they couldn't improve it. And when they did improve it, they basically had to tell everyone, you're going to have to redesign your pages. And at that point, everyone was like, well, I'll just go to Facebook or I'll go to somewhere else. So um, anyway, it was yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Tell me, tell me then, how do you like these? These are great lessons you learned from that time. And even that's like really good insight into MySpace because I was, you know, your average consumer. And I was like, for me, like I was saying, like Facebook, I was like, this is a better place to, to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but that's actually really interesting insight. Like I, I never really thought of that. And that makes sense. That's now, you know, we're almost 15 years ago from that. What, uh, with that same mindset, seems like you're pretty dead set on 
coming in here, creating really easy tools for creators to come in and do stuff, which NFTs are, are a great place for that. What what similar lessons do you think some platforms will learn sometime soon? Like what are what are what are some of the roadblocks that you're seeing for creators coming into the space? What are some of the how are some of the platforms potentially shooting themselves in the foot with over customization, or is it or is it a totally different ballgame? I think it's a different ballgame. Um I think, you know, when you say creators coming into the space, it's so different because like an NFT, like musicians generally, there were two musicians, there was two kind of goals for the average musician. You either just wanted to play music and you wanted to be happy playing music. And when you released it, you wanted to make it easy for people to find and you never expected a big fan base, but you enjoyed making it. And then there was the other side that were like, these people were, were businesses that wanted to become famous. And so it was a binary outcome. It was like, you know, they're signing record deals. Sort of like when you raise venture capital as a startup. When you raise venture capital as a startup, you can't build a nice little business. You've already, you give that away. And your goal is to build a billion dollar business or you will have problems down the line. Or you can stay bootstrapped and just build a nice little business. And it's like, it's kind of nice. You have those two choices. As a musician, I feel like the binary outcome is, is pretty clear. It's like, you're going to be a local great player and you're going to enjoy it or you're going to be pro. Mm. I think in this space, it's a little harder because you've got so many different dynamics on like both sides of the market, right? You've got, you know, the music musicians had listeners. There was no one music, music appreciators or people who were wanting to like follow a band, at least for the majority of time did, did it because they love music. They liked going to shows or they liked listening to music at home. There was no financial outcome, but in NFTs, it's like all over the place, right? Like there's plenty of people that say they buy NFTs because they love the art, but they're buying it as an investment or other people who are like, we're not even paying attention to the art or what even what the NFT is. We're looking at data, figuring out what's moving, flipping things. There's traders. So it's this weird mix of, of like art appreciation and investing. And so like the consumer side of the audience is, has so many different priorities. It's very hard to build for that. Um, it's very hard to build for all of that. And then on the creator side, it's the same thing. You've got like artists that are just like doing design work and they want to put, you know, they, they did 50 one-on-ones and they just want to put them on open sea and they want to like sell the thing. And then on the other, you know, then you've got people who are like, Oh, I'm an artist and I want to do a collection. I want to do a generative piece. So there's, you know, there's just so many. So I think that one of the problems, the, the, the only thing I feel like I talk to startups in this space and give them advice on is um, can, more consistently is just like find a target market and know who you're building for. Because building for NFT artists, there's very few opportunities in the flow where you could legitimately say, like, everyone can use this, right? Premint, mm -hmm. I would say that a lot of people can use Premint and that we're lucky in that sense because we're just sort of step zero. But, like, in most cases, if you're building, if you're right, if you're like helping people create contracts for their collection, you got to think about utility tokens you have to think about generative art you have to think about pfps you have to think about one of ones and like then you have to think about um additions there's just and if you try to do it all if you want to release a program that's like the minting platform that anyone can use it's just i feel like you're gonna have a hard time or if you're building like um an nft uh dashboard and you want like oh we're gonna yeah. collect all the data from the blockchain we're gonna look at your collection yeah. we're gonna tell you what to buy we're gonna tell you what's rare like you need to figure out, are you building for traders who really care about floor price across marketplaces and want to think about arbitrage? And, or are you building for someone who just wants to like, they've always wanted a ringer and they just like, they're going to hold it forever. So how do you help them figure out how to get into that collection without, you know, in a way that, that works for them? You know, 
What motivates that though, Brendan? Because you know, my opinion there is like, I, and I agree with you. It's funny. I think you're the only guest who's brought this up without me asking them about it. It's just like, I, whenever I see these platforms getting funded, that's like, you can come here and we're going to be the main marketplace and also the launch platform uh, and also dashboard for your NFTs. I'm like, no, like you're just, that's a huge, like you're just trying to, you're trying to be like the the NFL and also the company that makes the footballs and the company that builds a stadium. Like it's not like like just make one of those, right? And I, I feel the same way where I'm just like, that's you're trying to swallow this whole thing and nobody's gonna know. You're not gonna be you're not gonna be able to be the best at any of those things by doing that. It's gonna be really hard. My my question there is I guess somebody who's looking to build who has like a lot of different ideas and whether they are people with a tech background like you um, or even just, you know, myself, content creator, or even just like the average person who's like, I love NFTs. I have this totally different job that's not related to tech or, or crypto, but I would like to contribute. I have this great idea. It's a pre-mint style idea or something that could really contribute. How do they, how do they filter that? Because I even find my personal process, Brendan, and I'm just like, I start brainstorming and I'm like, it's too many ideas. Like I'm just, I'm way off in space um, so I guess just give me some personal advice. <laughs> That's what I'm asking for. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, this isn't really just related to NFTs, but um, in general, it's like, I think it's very helpful to know who your target market is, right? And like m- moving this out of NFTs, like I've a, built a couple of years ago and it still runs a podcast website platform. And it just helps podcasters spin up a website, stays up to date automatically. Now, when I launched that, I was very clear that, there's certain podcasters that are have hit escape velocity that have like tons of sponsors. They've really built a large business. They should use like they should hire designers and developers and to build them a website. They they should instrument their website very you know meticulously to make sure they understand conversions and listening. But like 95% of podcasters don't need that. And then maybe one day they do, and we can help them graduate off and go and get something better. But if I would have tried to start that with like. I want to service both. I would have had to think of all the easy podcast creation stuff. I would then have had to think of like deep analytics. I would have had to think of deep customization. I would have to think of monetization networks. Like, and it would have been too much. So I just was like, all right, I got to like take part of this market. And I think in NFTs, I was, I was, someone was pitching me a platform they were building the other day. And it was kind of like, imagine like, uh, open seas, like collection pages and profile pages, you know, cranked up to 11. It was awesome. It was gorgeous. It would, it had all this rich data on it. It was mm. showing you blended floor prices. It was like, it was so cool. And they gave me this whole pitch and I was like, this is gorgeous. The best website I've ever seen. Who's it for? And they're like, well, everyone. And I was like, well, like, I don't care about blended floor prices and I'm like fairly active, but I'm not fl- a flipper. Like I never sell anything on the, in the NFT side, or I don't buy something with the intention of selling it. So like, and so there's just this, there's really data heavy that I don't want to see, but like the people who, who do care about blended floor prices, this is probably way too pretty. Like they're, they want to look at like a data dashboard. And so I really always go back to like, what's the problem? And I, I asked them, I felt so bad asking this question after their presentation because it felt insulting and they had built software before. And I was like, I think this product is amazing. I think it's really beautiful. They've been working on it for like five months. And I was like, I don't understand what problem you're solving or who you're solving it for. And to me, that's, those are the only two, that's the questions you should start with before you build anything. So anyway, you know, you look at Facebook, I think a lot of people look at Facebook today and say like, yeah. oh, there are, they do local sales. They, 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 there's a million features. And I, I, the only area I disagree with you is I think maybe someone will be able to own the whole NFT landscape, but they're not going to start with the whole NFT landscape. They're going to yeah. start with, with, and you know, full disclosure, like we're, we're 
it would be unlikely that we wouldn't start helping creators in other ways besides that pre-mint process. And so like, right. but it would have been really hard if we were like, we're going to be a pre-mint, we're going to be a minting platform, we're going to be exactly. um, a collector dashboard, we're going to do all the stuff. You know, what we're trying to do is like, it, the, my question is always, all right, minting is something we don't have any involvement with. I've never wanted to have money flowing through pre-mint. It's too much mm. to handle, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to not to do that unless you really want to focus yep. on that. But I'm like, and I don't really want to write contracts or be responsible for contracts. But we started thinking like, all right, well, by not being a part of that, we are making collectors potentially vulnerable to like having to bounce over to a minting site that they've never been to and they could get rubbed. So if we owned, if we helped the minting process, we could actually keep yep. people safe. That's a problem worth solving. As we've looked down that road, the first question is, how do we do this in the easiest way possible? Which would be sort of don't even deal with the contracts, just like be able to people could bring their own contract. So it's like we don't need. So anyway, I think you just have to really be like crisp on, okay, what's the problem that we are uniquely able to solve? And what could we what's the best, easiest way to solve that right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and like you're saying with Facebook, it's like it didn't start with marketplace and all the other stuff you can do now. It started as like, just see who's your friends or if you watch the movie, who's single. Yeah. Right. It started yeah. as a really yeah. basic use case. And then was now it's like now it's if I needed like a new lawnmower, that's where I go. Yeah, you know, exactly. like that's, it, has, it has utility, but I don't care if it's single anymore. Well, and, and you know, just just to, to, to jump off your lawnmower comment, last thing I'll say is I think the other thing that you have to do yeah. well, which I think I feel like we've done fairly well with like introducing the collapse feature, like with the expansion we've done, it's like you have to kind of watch the market and how it's moving and make sure that you're still relevant. And like, I think mm-hmm. that Facebook was able to jump in and start selling lawnmowers because of the, the scale and because of their, their network, but also because Craigslist yeah. like just decided to stop innovating like, 15 years yeah. ago it's an amazing business and they still are yeah. like for head person per revenue dollar i think they're one of the most successful businesses of our time but they just kind of chose like you know we're gonna do what we're gonna, we're not gonna try to like follow the market we're just gonna be us and i think that worked for them for a very long amount of time but i think facebook mm-hmm. is like destroying them right now because facebook came in and was like okay what are the problems with craigslist trust organization of data. Sure. Facebook's prettier, but like it's way easier to find stuff on Facebook. It's you can have it shipped to you. It's like combines Craigslist plus, and it's just so much better. Um, yeah. It has location data as well. So it'll tell you like, if it's not in your town, it's nearby or whatever. Um, I will say shout out Craigslist again. I love, I love that we're talking that we're how many websites we're talking about that are 20 years old. Uh, because it's like shout out Craigslist for being, like such an OG internet thing. It's so simple. I still love that. You know, I still love the simplicity of, of, of Craigslist brings you back to internet in the nineties. Right. Or just, that's what websites were. Uh, And I feel like they probably just got over, they just got over like, you know, they're like, we're successful enough, which is also respectful. Yeah. Not everybody, not everybody wants to take over the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think you can, you could have, they could have, they could have innovated slightly to give themselves a better position against Facebook from a building perspective. And also this is, this is a, this is a consumer question as well. Um, looking ahead, how do we, how do we navigate like what the current trends are versus what might happen? Right. Because something like NFTs, it's like, even when I started in the space like two years ago and it was like, there was like nothing, there was, there was some stuff, but it was like, okay, you can buy some sandbox land. Top shot had just started. There's a few other random things. There's no PFPs. That wasn't even a term. There was like the people Mm -hmm. have punks, have punks as their thing. Then there's avastars trying to recreate the same thing with like a generative model. And that's it. Like there's nobody else has funny, like everybody still has their normal profile photos of like themselves or their dog or whatever. And 
and apes came out and I, I talk about this all the time in podcast i was like that's terrible like that's really what about it you know that's such a weird thing that's happening right now i don't think it's gonna last and it's been proven incredibly wrong how do people not just builders but also collectors how do people kind of stay ahead of the game? You know what I mean? Because we don't know what's good. We don't know what the, like, the meta is going to be in a year or two in terms of like what's mm-hmm. cool in NFTs or if, or if there's going to be some new thing that comes along that nukes NFTs. You timed something incredibly well with pre-mint where it's like, hey, everyone's doing all these whitelists, allow lists. It's a dangerous game. It's super annoying. People have Google Forms and all these different like, ugh, like you know, pencil mechanics. And then you came in with like easy site, simple Should people, I guess it's a convoluted question, but like should people be building like, hey, I think people need this right now? Or should they be like, I think people will need this later? Uh, I think it's a hard question because different people have different motivations. I mean, I think as an investor, I would probably always always uh, advise to not try to time the market, right? It's like whatever the phrase is. What's important is that you're in the market, not that you're timing the market, you know, whether it's crypto or real estate or whatever. So with that logic, you know, I think that looking, trying to have the crystal ball, and be like, well, people are going to need this in six months, um, so I should start building it now. It's tough because there's a chance that so much could happen in that six months, especially in the NFT market. In the NFT market, most likely what's going to happen is it's just going to completely change and that thing is no longer relevant. Um, the, the other thing that could happen is someone who had the same insight but had a bigger team or more experience or more money or whatever can build it in one month as opposed to six months, right? So... I, it's always been hard for me to say people are going to need this in a long time. I'm going to build it now. I have a, a, the experience and the sort of the skill set where I can generally get something from idea to to shift into the market in a very short period of time. Um, and so I tend to be more of the people need this now. And it's not like something they'll only need this week. Like mm-hmm. it's sort of I think the best kind of products is you see something brewing and you can start addressing that need very quickly to see if the thing that's brewing is worthwhile. Like. Premium's actually funny, so I can't remember the exact dates, but I, I think I launched it around o- October 1st last year. It's not even a year old. I think the first code commit was around then, or maybe I, I think the first code commit was September 30th, and then, the, then it was launched October 14th, something like that. I can't remember. Nobody used it. I mean, it was built really for one person. It was Pindar Van Armin, who does BitGans, and he started using Google Forms, and I built it because I watched what he was doing, and I talked to him about it. So he used it. And so I had my one customer that I built it for and great. And it just was out there as a free tool, um, very rarely used. And that was it for most of the year. And like at the end of the year, a few big artists found it. We had an X copy launch. Farouk used it for Rogue Radio. And um, it started picking up steam very, very quickly. But like if you would have asked me in December, I would have been like, yeah, pre was a cool idea. But it's not going to be a good business. It's not going to, you know, some people will use mm. it. And so, like, it took a while for it to even, even, like, pe- it seems like, I mean, even the, the fact that it's only a year old, like, a lot of people yeah. would be like, oh, my God, that's, like, a pretty big success story with given how big it is. It's only been out for a year. But, like, those first few months, it seemed like a total failure. Um, and even mm. this year, it really started picking up, like, March, April. It, you know, it started, you could see the momentum building. So, um but I looked at it and I said, all right, there's clearly people, whenever I see people building like homegrown solutions and like stitching things together, I think that's where you yeah. see a lot of opportunity, right? If you see someone building like, this isn't as relevant anymore, at least in NFTs, but if you see someone building like crazy Zapier models of like, oh, when this happens, then trigger this. And then this happens, you're like, oh, maybe I could build like a, 
a really useful email marketing tool that's automated because people, you see enough people trying to automate something. You're like, Oh, maybe I can just build the tool that kind of connects the dots. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, long, long, it's not a convoluted question, but sort of a convoluted answer where I think it's, it's in the middle. Like, I don't think you should build something that if you're going to build something that is needed today, I think that's really nice. But I think that you just need to make sure that it, it has a chance to be needed later. Yeah, no, it's, it, it was a convoluted question. So it's, it's okay if you, you have a long answer like that. It's totally fine with me. How does I, a, a real question, like like deeper question about premit? Is there do you, are are you guys? Uh, do you mind me asking? Like, are, are, are do you guys monetize yet? Or do you are you guys do you guys make money in premit? I, I I feel like I've just signed up, but I don't think I guess do the the creators pay a fee when they're using you? I, I should I'm not too familiar there. So the the revenue model. So at first it was free. It was all free because it wasn't really a thing that I thought was going to be successful. Um, and then. After, uh, after I think it was, maybe it was X copy for rope at a certain point, like projects that were big enough, started using it where the site was going down because I didn't have infrastructure. And so I was like, well, I'm going to have to start building infrastructure for this. I'm going to have to spend more time on this. Um, so I will, I need to start charging. So I, so I sold as an experiment. I sold a creator NFT on open seas contract. It was like, Hey, buy this, um, come to the site, activate it. It will give you access to the premium features. And that allowed me to monetize a little bit. And I thought, I literally like, I think I put 10 of them up on OpenSea, and I was like, maybe I'll sell these 10. They sold, it kept going. We ended up like, I kind of moved the prices up because I didn't really think about pricing when I did it. And then um, eventually moved off OpenSea and we have our own contract. So we have a creator NFT that's an unlimited NFT that is it's sort of, you burn it when you activate it. So it's not like a resellable NFT. It doesn't have any secondary value. That existed through like February or March. And that was it. And then what happened was the collector base started getting much bigger, right? People like you came and signed up on these lists and I didn't build anything. Like there was no, once you sign up on a list, there was no like next button to do anything. It was, it was literally close the browser tab. There was no back home button. There was no link on the page. So all these collectors were like, well, I signed up for all these premiums, but I don't even know, I don't even remember what I signed up for. And so um, I started looking into building like a collector dashboard. And so we moved that, we started building that. And then in April launched a collector pass NFT. There was um, a 10,000 edition or 10,000, um, not a, it's not an edition, but there's 10,000 creator pass NFTs. They were launched on April 1st. They were sold through just a standard minting process and owning one of those gets you access to the collector side of the, the product. And so um and that you get, you know, you can see your history. You can see which ones you've won, which ones you've lost. You can, you get mint reminders. There's a calendar feature. Um, we're going to be releasing a dashboard where it'll tell you, like, based on your collection, here are the premit lists that you sign that you um, qualify for and all that stuff. So that sort of allows us to build up that collector side of the house. So that's, a, that's how we do the revenue model at this point. It's those two sides. Tell us a little bit more. So, so I, I just want to dive into that story and kind of maybe you can bring us up to where you're at right now with premit because something I, I'm very keen to know. So you, you launched a product. Nobody's using it. Then you, to me, you became one of the premier tools. I was just like, this makes so much sense. The past makes sense. This is like, you know, I had on a list of like, this is, this is, this is the kind of stuff we need to be building right now to kind of solve these problems for us. So kudos to you, Brennan. You know, I think, I think you saved a lot of people, a lot of trouble. So, so thank you. First of all, where, where are you guys at now? Like what, what, what else have you learned along that journey in the last 10 months or 11 months and, and, and kind of where are you taking it from here? Um, on the, collector side you know that launched as this big experiment that the, the the messaging was you get access to this collector dashboard but you know at the time ever all these collections were doing special drops for people and so we were like we've done a lot of experiments in that side and sort of re reaffirmed our role is like 
we're going to keep building out great technology as a collector dashboard. But, um, right. you know, we don't have a Discord, as an example. Um, that was from the beginning. I was like, I don't want a Discord. Like, you're in enough Discords. The whole goal of this is software. But, of course, we looked into the Discord thing. We sort of tried to test our assumptions over the last... Um, but we kind of are refocusing back on making that dashboard better. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff that we're going to be adding. Now, you'll notice I'm not saying we're building a trading dashboard. So, like, we're not going to mm -hmm. be building, like, crazy charts and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. It's more going to be more about, like, the ethos is more, you have this collection. What should it be getting you? And, like, and then also, of course, like, your premium stuff. Like, what have you signed up for? What have you won? So, on the collector side, there's that. On the creator side, you know, it's in, it's been interesting. Right now, each... I think you can't respond too quickly to a market conditions changing because right now we're very clearly in a lull. When we launched Premint, the, the demand was way higher than the supply. And so Premint was used as a way to take a large group of people and whittle them down into a small group that could mint. And that's how, you know, you avoided gas wars. There was also a significantly smaller number of projects. So less projects, um, there, I guess there was technically a, a lower number of collectors, but there was just a lot more demand for fewer projects. Now there's less demand in general. People are sort of sitting on the sidelines. You've got way more projects launching, not only from artists, but you've got all the celebrities and brands stepping in the space. And so a lot of people now sort of have turned to use Premint as a way to gather an audience as opposed to whittle down an audience. Right. I think there's validity to that, but it's breaking some of the core assumptions of the product, which is like, it's all about winning a spot. You only have, there's only a certain number of spots. So what we're seeing now, unfortunately, is like a lot of people over allocating. Um, so, you know, the winners show up to mint and it's sold out. And it's because they pick three, 30,000 winners for 10,000 spots. So then we go to the creator and we say, you shouldn't have done that. And they're like, well, no one's showing up to mint anymore. Right? Like if, if we only yeah. pick 10,000 winners for 10,000 spots, it's yeah. more likely that there'll be less momentum during the mint. People won't mint and like, and so it's like, it's, it's like, it's like over, it's like airlines overselling a flight. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and, and from the beginning, even X copies drop in the beginning of this year, um, mm -hmm. you know, they picked 200 winners for 200 spots of a grifter. Grifters were already tr trading at 10 ETH and they were being sold for 0.25 ETH. So if you won that, you basically made 10 ETH. And this was back when ETH was more than it is now. Yeah. They still only had like 175 people show up to mint. Like you'll never get a hundred percent mint from your winners. Moonbirds was another one. Moonbirds, I think, had like eighty-five percent, maybe ninety percent show up to mint right. winners. So we introduced this model where you could add a, a wait list where you say, like, cool, you've got your you should never have more winners than your supply. But then after that period, you release it to a wait list, which is a constrained list, and this still solves gas wars and keeps bots out. And that worked for a while as the, but again, as the demand has gone down, like what people are seeing is like, oh, if we don't over allocate our mint, we might not sell it. If we don't sell out, it's bad for everyone. Anyway, point being, it's a totally different dynamic and it's the same tool. And so we're starting to look at how do we adjust the tool to meet this new dynamic. And so that part of it is being more transparent with the collectors of like, hey, you're signing up for a list or you want a spot, but it is a first come first serve spot. You, you, you have a better chance of getting it, but like, and then, um, and then on the other side, like, well, if people are coming to collect an audience on Premint, right, the, the dynamic is being set up to put a link out there, have a huge audience come in and whittle them down. But if they're looking to find collectors, maybe we can do a better job there. And so we're starting to think a little bit more about, um, again, like a Premint is, the goal is pre-Mint, like helping you before the Mint happens. It's not necessarily, it's, we didn't call it allow list. And so... Yeah. Um, what is what are other dynamics of the pre-mint process that aren't necessarily building an allow list? And so starting to look at that. Um, and then, like I told you, you know, I do think that if we were to help control the 
the minting part of the process or at least give people the option um we could protect against scams and stuff like that right now we can't really say a project is certified or anything because we don't right. own the contract so we're looking at that um yeah. and then the third piece is once you've minted what happens and most of what happens is in discord and so we we recently bought a company called vulcan which is sort of mm -hmm. the discord management software and so right. they have you know the ability to verify roles without having to connect wallets they have a recaptcha that keeps bots mm -hmm. out they have sales bots that helps you report your sales to your secondary or secondary sales to your community we're building a giveaway bot that is sort of premint plus vulcan inside discord so you won't even need to go to premint anymore you can just click an emoji mm -hmm. but it'll be more efficient than some of the other uh, stuff that's out there so we're thinking a lot about that like post mint world but that's kind of in the solely separate product called vulcan so right right is there an irony there that it's just like you you bought like a discord bot company but there's you don't have a discord for premint well, we have a disc, we have a premed um, creator Discord, so we do have that. So we get to oh, dog okay. food a okay, little okay, bit okay. there, but we don't Got have it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But like, you know, you, what, yeah. basically what we did is we sat down and we said, you know, there's so much security issues with our industry, and if we don't fix these yeah. security issues, the other people are never going to come in and join this industry because it's too scary. And every mm -hmm. attack vector I saw, whether it's phishing scams, hacks, rug pulls, like you know, fake mints, all ends with the same thing: people getting sent to a link and being asked to set access for all, like open mm -hmm. their access to their product and, um, or set approval for all. Yeah. And so that is the vector that, I mean, we're not going to build a wallet, but I think the wallet, I think, I mean, I've talked to MetaMask, I'm talking openly about the fact that I think MetaMask should introduce better UI to warn people. But like generally, you know, we, we bought Vulcan because we think it is the safest way to protect people from scams, right? Like right. if you never, right now, when you go into like Zeneca's discord and if you own a premint or if you, if you have his token and you've ever used premint before, when you say verify me and get access to the channels, we will look at the premint database that you're in and we'll say, oh, this discord user has this wallet, this wallet has the Zeneca pass. Cool, you're good. You click one button and that's it. If you use some of these other providers, mm -hmm. you're like leaving discord, going to a website, mm -hmm. connecting your wallet. Mm -hmm. I mean, this it's so, um, so the, the Vulcan acquisition was more about like some of the stuff we're doing on the security side of the industry. Um, but I think there's a lot we can do there. Where are you at, Brendan, on, on the, on the scale of mass adoption? Because this is, this is actually a curious question for you because it's like, I, I love what you're saying about like building these tools, making it really simple for, for, for the people running the discord, for the creators, um, and also keeping it really safe for the consumers where like, what is your current opinion on, on, on whether, the current NFT meta can scale to more people. Like some of the stuff we cover at First Mint, like we're covering, you know, some of the Dapper stuff where they they've on Flow, they've got Ticketmaster or they they've got some kind of Ticketmaster deal out there that they're rolling out for NFL games this year. Obviously, with some kind of hopefully some kind of future integration for those tokens for people, new people getting them who haven't gone there yet. Obviously, we're probably not quite ready for for millions of new people to show up tomorrow, uh, especially ones who aren't, aren't aren't savvy in the tools. But where where are you on on that scale? Like, where are you at in terms of, of of pushing that and getting new people in the space? I think that we'll end up with NFTs being a, sort of an underlayer of a lot of interfaces and experiences for normal people, but without them ever knowing that they're trading NFTs. And I, I I honestly I, I hate talking about news that I haven't read, but I, and just talking all based off headlines. It's probably one of the worst things you can ever do. But I've, I saw a lot of headlines this morning around Starbucks getting into NFTs. And from my headline reading and my tweet reading, my gut opinion of it is what they're doing is they're going to essentially like use the NFT, the specifically Polygon. They're going to use 
the NFT sort of backend to power a somewhat some kind of a collectible reward system, but the end user will just be interacting with credit cards. And so sure. I think that I I can and then I guess there'll be like the wallet holders like you want to maybe I don't know I don't know how the actual NFT ownership works, but I think it's more likely that that's how normals will get into it than like they're going to download MetaMask. Um, so I think that's one avenue that a lot of consumers will start using NFTs without really knowing they're using NFTs. I think concert ticketing is the greatest of all examples. When I'm trying to win people over who are like NFTs are dumb, I talk about well, what if we, what if tickets were NFTs? What if artists could make part of the scalping revenue? What if it could? What if when you bought a ticket, you would 100% know that it was a real ticket, all that stuff. And they're like, oh, I totally get it now. I've been using this as an example recently of like, uh, I always I always use, because aging myself, but Dave Matthews did like an amazing fan club. I had never joined it, but when he was like, when people used to follow, I mean, get people still follow him around, but I think this is like a 20 year old thing. I think it was called The Warehouse and he had a fan club that you could join and you got like early access to tickets and stuff like that. He built this platform himself, um, but like, what I tell people now is like, well, you don't, you didn't know who was in the warehouse or not. I mean, maybe they could like print off a membership card with a barcode or something, but like, but what's so cool, I think about NFTs and this concept of like being part of a community and, and, uh, and it being public is that it's amazing that premium can exist, right? Someone can come on premium who has nothing to do with CryptoPunks, can't afford a CryptoPunk, but can set up a list that only CryptoPunk people can join. That's a pretty amazing thing. Like, and so the idea yeah. of giving benefits to community members without actually having to do a deal with that community. So I was talking about there's a um, there was a big concert a couple years ago pre-COVID around where I live, and there's a Denny's right next door. And so the people around here, I explained, I'm like, and Dave Matthews actually played. So I was like, imagine if Denny's could have been running a promotion for anyone who was a Dave Matthews album holder or fan club holder, or just were, was going to the show, they could run that and they could verify that people. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's just. That's, and they're like, well, they could do that today. It's like, they couldn't verify. They could do run like a weekend deal, but like they couldn't say, hey, you you love Mumford and Sons. We're going to give you like the moons over my hand here, whatever the hell, you know, their dishes are. But like, you couldn't. Grand Slam Witch. Yeah, the Grand, Grand Slam So I'm a huge yeah. Denny's person, just so you know. Oh, you are? Secretly. Nobody knows that. I I'm in Canada, so there's very, few, there's very few Denny's. It's just one of the, I just think it's hilarious and I like eating there. Yeah, funny. I Continue. haven't been in a, in a long time, but like, um, yeah, I think that the, that's going to be a big deal and there's just stuff you can do, um, that is going to be, so I, I think that that's how normals will end up getting into it. I also think that, um, you know, I think when it comes to like wallets, it's just a very, I mean, Coinbase makes sense to a lot of people cause it's an account. You just have an account with Coinbase. I mean, they can say it's your wallet, but you just have a Coinbase account and people could send money into it. That's fine. That's what you do with Chase or bank of America or whatever. People get that. Um, when it comes to like a MetaMask wallet, like with your own keys and stuff, I think it freaks people out. I personally feel mm-hmm. safer that my assets are in Chase than they're like mm-hmm. on my ledger. And if I lose this piece of paper or lose the, you know, all that, it's like, it's too much for me. I yeah. mean, Premint, yeah. Premint's treasury is held in a bank because it's a business. And I'm like, if I can't lose that. And then can't lose the money. People. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, yes, if there's like a revolution and, you know, the government locks down funds of it. Yeah. So, That's so fine. I think there's, a, there's some space between a MetaMask wallet with 20 words or however many, 24 words that you have to keep on a piece of paper and Coinbase. And I think that's probably looks something like mm-hmm. Apple or Google embedding wallets into their operating systems that somehow you have control. There, there is custody a little bit about access, but it's not, right. 
you know, it's, it, there's just some middle ground where it's like, if I lose this piece of paper, I can call, I can get Apple, my Apple ID will help me get it back or something versus like, anyway, I think that that's in the middle and, and we yeah. might see more things like that. Like your Apple, I don't know if you're an Apple user, but they have like Apple cash, yeah. which is like a, a wallet in the wallet. And like, there's no account number there, but people use it. And I can see something like that sort of being, um, I can see a middle I don't ground. Know if we have that. I don't think we're allowed to have that in Canada. Hmm. Maybe you're not we missing. We're no, we don't. We don't. We're not allowed to have Venmo. Yeah, you're not missing so, much. But the cool thing is, like, you get a phone and you just have a a wallet that someone can because they have your yeah. phone number. They can just send you five bucks and like. Yeah, we don't. So I think that there's going to be an onboarding of crypto people that is similar to that, where you don't have to download an app or set up an account, and if you lo- and if you lose your phone, you can get your money back, like something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Brendan, like, what? What? Um, you know, I love what you're saying about like, like, like Denny's and I was reading a lot actually about Starbucks this morning. Um, and basically like they are going to, they're going to like gamify it. They're going to be like, okay, if you go and this week you buy like an espresso and a pumpkin spice latte and a the brownie or something like that, then those things get you like a badge or a new NFT people. I've said for a long time and Reddit is probably the best example. This is like people love fake internet points. People love fake internet badges, fake trophies any of that kind of stuff and NFTs kind of take that next step. It's just like, hey, those trophies are like real things that you can like sell to other people once you've achieved them. That's like such a, you know, creating that value. But from a larger standpoint, like, you know, you're you're plugged into the creator side, but I find, Brendan, even just through talking to you, that you are also quite plugged in or quite, you have a lot of empathy for for how normal people feel as well in the NFT space. What do people actually want? Like in, in terms of the people that are currently here, we've talked about the new people who might come in buying macchiatos, whatever. The people that are here right now, we're still here at bear market. Like what, the people that are here, what, what are we chasing? Are we, are we all here for profit or, or what do we actually, what do we want? Well, I think this is where you're like, this is where I go back to like, there's no one answer because everyone's here for different reasons. I mean, I know people who buy NFTs very specifically to hold, to give to their children and they're not bullshitting. They're legitimately like, I think I'm, I think we're in the beginning stages of a huge movement of art. And if I could have owned the first oil painting, that's probably going to be something that's valuable. And I wouldn't try to sell that two months later when the market went up. And so it's like they see some of these early NFTs as potentially priceless goods that they can pass on to future generations. Mm -hmm. And so for them, you know, they might be here to try to get a deal on something. They're trying to buy something low, but there's, there's no calculus on when they'd sell it. And there's, they're, they're here the things that they buy, maybe they're buying as investments, but they're they're very strongly buying as like they would they just want to own this piece of art because they love it or they the story of the artist is great or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different person, and that person today, every one of the people that I know that fits that user profile is not sad right now. If anything, they're happy because they have some capital they can deploy and get some assets that they weren't planning on being able to get because they thought they'd already gotten sort of out of price range. The people I know who are in it to like flip and trade are very not, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say devastated. I'm not necessarily part of their mental world, but I would say that they're panicked. And so I see a lot of the premium collectors, for example, who bought the premium pass to get an edge because they saw Moonbirds launch on premium and they saw BeFriends launch on premium. They saw Xcopyline. They're like, oh, this will get me an edge on those. They're sort of like, pissed right now like where why aren't you why aren't there more great projects like as if premint's the one creating the blue chips it's not like it's not even just like hey you know this project is launching and you don't have any spots for me it's literally like i need that you need to be launching better projects on premint so i can make money i'm not making money with this pass i'm like well first like it's not supposed to the pass is not ever even guaranteed to something that you can make money from that's not why you should buy it but 
second, like we don't create the projects. Like if there's no good projects in them out there, there's going to be, it's going to be like going to, you know, the movie theater and bitching that there's no good movies out. It's like the movie theater just plays the movies. And so um, I think that there's a lot of people who like got into this market because of all the hype and they bought a bunch of stuff because they were told NFTs were just going up into the right. And then since they did that, they've been sliding and now they're panicking because they're just like, well, I lost a bunch of money. How, now I need to make it back. And like the way you make money back, at least traditionally in crypto, is right now you deploy some capital, you sit quietly, and you sit, and you, yeah. you you typically want to deploy capital into like projects that are. And this is the hardest part about NFTs is like in crypto during the downtimes, the best thing to buy. I mean, there's probably financially like you could buy some random altcoins but if you were just going to go out and be like i just want to make money off crypto buy bitcoin and buy ethereum you can buy pretty much anything that it will probably go up but like those things will probably go up and be part of the next bull where if you bought like a weird altcoin there's plenty of altcoins that just no one ever cared about during the next bull and so they never got more valuable if anything the next bull proved that they were useless and then they completely went to zero and i think nfts are harder because it's hard to say like right now just go and buy some blue chips because it's very hard to afford an ape or a squiggle or, um, you know, a lot of these, but those are probably going to come back and do well. I don't know if I won't name any specific communities, but there are certain communities that are down. And I'm like, I couldn't guarantee those are going to come back. So unless you love that art, like, so that's the thing. I think that that's that generally like people now, uh, typically with these cycles, and this even happens with startups when Silicon Valley gets super bubbly. It's like, there's the hype. There's a lot of people that come in that just are there to make money. And there's some people there who are there because they love building. And when the mm -hmm. crash happens, it actually flushes all the people out who are just, just there to make money. And so I think that right now people are having to decide whether they're, going, they're done with NFTs because it's just not a good use of their time. And the people that are left building are like super excited about this time. So, Question for you on the business side. You're saying people are pitching you these days. Are you, do you invest in businesses or are you looking for more stuff to acquire? And also what, what, what are people pitching? What, what's, um, what's some stuff that people are like, I, I mean, genres, like don't give us the, the mm -hmm. company details, but I mean like, what's the kind of stuff that people are trying to build right now? Um, I, I occasionally do some investments. Um, if the, if it's just absolutely clear that it would be something I want to invest in. I, I think I thought a lot about building a premium fund and just funding smaller projects. And I, I would love to do it but it's a lot of work to meet with companies, right? Like if you're a good investor, you meet with 40 or 50 companies, you invest in one of them. And I just have bare, I don't have any time right now. So the idea yeah. of like doing, so it's kind of like something has to fall into my lap and be, get an introduction through someone I care about. And, and I, this is the worst thing to say as an investor, but like, I need to see other people that I respect also investing. You know, most people are like, you should have your own conviction, but like, I don't have time to have my own, like dig into everything. Yeah. So I very rarely invest. Um, uh, but I always, but I do try to offer my time to companies that are just like getting started trying to figure out issues and try, like I've seen whether it's through software or through premium, I kind of seen around a lot of corners. And so I always see like you, this happened to you. So I forget they had some issue with their mint the other day. And I forget Well, I remember looking it up and be like, Oh yeah, I would have predicted that was going to happen because like it just the, all the dynamics were there for whatever it was. And like, mm -hmm. um, when like, uh, even when, Yuga did the other side mint and like a hundred million dollars in gas was lost. It was like, well, of course what that, that was never not going to happen. Why wouldn't like, we shouldn't be pissed about it now when, so that it happened. We should have been like pissed that they weren't doing anything to prevent that. Right. Like, yeah. so 
those are two kind of extreme examples, but like, you know, in a lot of startups, like startup that pitched me the other day, like talking about like, if you release this, most likely what will happen is you'll get a little bit of buzz. It's going to make you feel really nice because you'll have Twitter will be excited about this. People will use it for a few days and then no one will ever use it again. And, you know, and let, you know, so like, but cause they haven't built in any sort of marketing besides like a launch plan and some influencers to tweet about it. And there's no, you know, mm-hmm. premint worked because when a creator uses premint, the collectors see premint. Some of those collectors are also creators. Those collectors that then turn and use premint for their project. And it's just like a nice little feedback loop. Um, mm. So anyway, point is, um, that's why I tend to hear about a bunch of pitches. Because people introduce right. people to me so I can like help them figure that out. What I'm seeing is nothing surprising. Uh, it's mm. more and more dashboards, alpha dashboards, which I think have been played out at this point. Um, there's a lot of great tools out there, but I think what happens, and this is someone, someone sort of encapsulated this well for me, is like awesome tool is built. People use it for a few months. New tool is built with some little different feature that gives everyone an edge. Then everyone moves over to that one and just dumps this one. And then they do it again. And at the end, if the tool is good, everyone moves to it. And then that tool eventually expires and then people move to another one. So, um, but I'm seeing more of those kind of tools out. Um, and I think there's value there, but especially for collectors, not traders, but the traders tend to like move from, and the traders are the one who's going to pay for it. So people come to me like, Oh, we're going to sell access to this for 0.1 ETH a month. And it's like, it's going to be really hard to build a big business off of that because it might be good for three or four months, but then they're gone. Um, uh, Minting platforms are very, very continually popular. I think people are trying to like, everyone's trying to solve the, Hey, I want to release an NFT, but I have no experience. So what's the turnkey? What's the Shopify for minting? I think there's like some really good people out there working on it. I just think it's, you know, and they're all monetizing similar ways. They're like, we're going to charge, we're not going to charge a flat fee. We're going to charge a percentage of primary and the big money is going to be in a percentage of secondary. And now they're all like, oh, wait, secondary royalties are drying up because marketplaces aren't enforcing royalty rules. Okay, well, I'm, and so I, I just worry that's going to be a little bit of a race to the bottom because I'm already right. seeing like minting platforms being like, well, we're just going to be free because we want like to own the relationship. And like, so I see a lot of minting platforms. Um, some interesting like developer tools around like how do you make it easy for people to spin up their own marketplaces? How do you decentralize decentralized marketplaces? I think that's kind of interesting. And, um, but ultimately like I'm kind of a curmudgeon old person who kind of believes that OpenSea is in a really good spot as much as people don't like it. Like the average consumer likes to go to one website and buy things, not like buy things from 50 different websites. I like when I go to like a brand and they're, I can see they're using Shopify because I trust the infrastructure. I don't really like buying yeah. off of a site where I'm entering a credit card and not knowing if it's a secure form. Like, so, yeah. um, anyway, but, but I, there's nothing that I've seen that is like, whoa, that's a totally new thing. And I actually think that's okay because I think we're in a space where a lot of people build products because the technology allows them to, not because there's a user need for it. And so people come to me like, oh, I've built this great split payment system where you can have your, your money sent to this, like six wallets and then you can do this. And I always tell them like, well, who's going to use it? And they're like, well, that, I think it'd be really useful for X, Y, and Z. I was like, yeah, but do they need this? Like, have you talked to them? Yeah. No. Um, so you got a solution a lot of people are building, a problem. Yeah. They're, and, they're, and they're doing that because the tech has like opened up all these possibilities. For every 50 or 100 of those built, someone stumbles on a billion dollar business. So I think it's like, Something it's that's cool to work. see people doing it. Yeah. 
uh, uh, Brendan, if I if I put you in charge of like the the biggest fund in crypto, like 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 you're now in charge of A16Z's like monster fund, all the funds they've deployed or whatever giant VC. Um, what's 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 the first thing you're building or investing in? I think if you look for trends, VCs typically look for trends. And again, I've sort of talked about how I'm not I'm not the ten year in advance person. Um, but right, forget forget the VC that, part. Just just like you have an unlimited funds, you can build something that's going to be really useful. Or or how are you defined like like good in the space what do you what yeah. do you go and make i mean it's it's a hard question because we're already i mean i wouldn't be working on premium if i thought there was something better to be working on um, right so i think that you know i think we're areas that we can do better i think right now we're seeing this issue of the supply and demand flipping and how do we make it easier for both sides to get what they want which is how do we make it easier for creators to find customers and how do we make it better for customers to find projects and things they want to buy for whatever reason they want to buy them. Right. Um, pleasing traders is very hard, but you know, they're always going to be there. Um, but so how do we, you know, I, I don't know if the allow list is going to be a forever dynamic of our industry, but I do know in every industry, in any commerce, in the history of the world, finding your customers, finding a group of people to buy the thing you want to sell is a pretty important part of your process. And so I see premiums like, depth there going, getting a little bit deeper. Um, we do no on-chain analysis of who the collectors are who sign up. We do no uh, analysis of the projects. You know, if you were wanting to start a sneaker NFT, it would be awesome if you could come to premium and be like, hey, I've got 10,000 of these I want to sell. Find me the best collectors who would be interested. And we could, mm-hmm. we could do it in a way that would be both satisfying for you and you get your customers, not overwhelming for our collectors that are just going to be inundated with nonstop offers. for So like, so I think there's, I still think there's a lot to be done there. Um, mm. So, but, and then for me, like if I had unlimited funds that I could just deploy, I would be doing, I would, it would be more of a charitable aspect of like, how do we keep people safe? Cause we need to make the right. industry safer. Like we, there's a lot of, there's a lot of areas for people to get scammed. And the more and more that happens, mm. the slower this industry is going to take. So that is where, I mean, we're spending a lot of money and time and people on security stuff that is not, I mean, it's somewhat directly tied to us, but a lot of it is like not going to help the premium product, but it'll help the industry in general. Um, so we're going to be releasing a lot of like the, the security stuff we're doing um, for other people to use. And I think it'll be helpful for the industry. Well, some great thoughts. Uh, we're at the end of the time, Brennan, and there's one thing that happens at the end of the show. It just takes a second is we play a game and the game is, would you rather? Okay. You know how this game works. I give you two options. You tell me which one you would prefer. Okay, I only, I only have two questions for you. <clears throat> These are all hypothetical, of course. You get two phone calls from two different old platforms, and you must bring them into Web3. Would you rather the platform be MySpace or Napster? Uh, Napster, I think. Do you want to give you the why? Yeah, absolutely. If you'd like to, if you'd like to. Share. Yeah, okay. I didn't know if this was a, I've done some podcast interviews where like, all right, at the end, we're going to do some quick questions. And, um, there's no, no, no it's not rapid stuff. fire. No, I want, if you, I want the weirdest reason why. Absolutely. No, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I think it's actually more simple. It's like Napster was decentralized from the beginning. And so mm-hmm. I think that it would make a lot more sense. And Napster wasn't a, an interface. Napster was more of like a protocol. And so bringing a Napster in, I think would just fundamentally make more sense than, MySpace, which is just, you know, an old platform or even Facebook, right? If you were to say, like, when I think of MySpace, I don't think of like, 
I think of the MySpace website in the same way if you said Facebook, I think the Facebook website and like both of those, like I'd rather be talking to Napster about ways that we could use that tech in Web3. Right. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Great answer. Uh, Second question, only other one. Would you rather nobody ever used Prement? Never, you know, it's done incredibly well, but nope, nobody needed it. It's, it's, you have to move on. You have to build something else. Or you have to eat at Denny's for a month. Every meal. Oh, I totally eat at Denny's for a month every meal. <laughs> That's an easy one. <laughs> we, we're definitely yeah. going to be friends, man. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I've got no problem. With, you know, it's funny. Uh, we have, I mean, one of the reasons I haven't been to Denny's in a long time is because my wife has this, she grew up in the South with like Waffle House and she has a fundamental oh. uh, opposition to Denny's. And so, oh. and, and it, it's not that big of a deal, but it, it has become such a running joke in our relationship that now it's like right. a big deal. Where she's like, yeah. no, I'm never going to eat at Denny's. And so now it's like, it's it's almost like a, so, but no, I would, I'll, I'd be fine going. No, that's an easy one. Dude, your your example of uh, people going to the Dave Matthews Band concert and they get to go to eat at Denny's beforehand or whatever is like, that is that is my new leading example for most, most unlikely combination of brands is that for, for the utility but think about, I mean, just think about like, and you know, this is going to exist where you're going to open up your wallet. There's going to be a benefits tab in the same way you open up like your bank account. And it's like, we've got coupons for you. And you go to the business yeah. tab and it's like, here's all the, here's all the restaurants that you can get discounts from here. Are all the stores because you own this thing. Like it's going to be overwhelming, right? It's going to be curation is going to be a hard part here because everyone's going to be like, oh wait, I'm Denny's. I will literally give a discount to every community that exists because why wouldn't I want to be in the app? Right? So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've said uh, for a while that we're on the brink of like the greatest like permissionless brand era that there's ever been like the the best era of like brand collaboration. Like I, I come from the marketing world, agency world. So it's like trying to get another brand to do something with yours is like a freaking mess uh, for anything. Yeah. Like you, you're filming a commercial and somebody happens to be wearing the wrong shirt and you're like, you're totally screwed. So it's just like, I'm so excited for that kind of stuff to be way more seamless because I think it's, it's going to be massive and, and really great for yeah. the, for the consumers. So yeah. Um, Brendan. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for making time. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that is going to do it for us today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on The First Minute.